Welcome to the Open Mic Podcast Show with Mike Midgley. Hey, and welcome to the Open Mic Podcast. On today's episode, I'm excited to be covering a topic of conscious leadership, you know, the secret to geometric growth. Now, as entrepreneurs, we're all out there trying to find an angle, trying to be a leader, trying to be a better person. You know, as we know, leadership is not something that is granted, it's something that's got to be earned and respected. And ultimately, I love doing leadership podcasts on the show, um, purely and simply because it is a straight in the vein, direct injection into you guys as our <laughs> listeners to sort of really lift that sort of motivation, make yourself self-aware and go and do better things. Today's influencer guest, um, I'm really excited about this. We've got an awesome background. I'll, 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 I'll cover a little bit more about that in, later in the show. Uh, but I'm pleased to be joined by Harrison Hunter-Reed uh, from Cooler LLC. And Harrison originally joins us uh, from the greater New York City area, um, but in a different place today. Harrison, welcome to the Open Mic Podcast Show. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm looking forward to uh, spending the next 45 to 60 minutes with you. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who are actually watching this on the blog as opposed to listening on the apps, just tell us a little bit about the background there, the trees going and where you are located in the world today. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Tell us a little bit about where you are in the world today. Yeah, so um, my, my career, my occupation, my businesses, they take me all over the world. And when you're traveling all over the world every single month, you don't really have the ability to set up a home base. And so um, in all the places I've been, I found one place where I am just at my at most, at most happiest, my most productive, my most self. And I found myself in Medellin, Colombia, in a little area called El Poblado. Amazing. And if you don't know anything about Medellin, it went from one of the most dangerous cities in the, in the world to you know, one of the more safer cities, wow. um, especially for a third world country. And yeah. um, they call it the city of eternal spring. It's, do you guys do Fahrenheit or Celsius where you are? Uh, both. We'll take, it, we'll take it either way, yeah. Both. Okay. Uh, well, it's about 75 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit every single day with sun. Um, or I think that's 25 to 30 degrees Celsius every yeah. single day. And so whenever I have a month or a month and a half where I don't have to be anywhere, which is rare, but I'm very blessed to have one right now, I come back down here to Medellin, Colombia, hang out and focus on my businesses. Yeah, it's fabulous. That's amazing. And, and you know, it, it is... It is so difficult when you're traveling all the time. You know, at my age now, at the ripe old age of nearly 50, I don't have to do as much traveling, but, you know, I used to do quite a lot of traveling, you know, um, 10, 15 years ago. And it is hard, but um, it looks amazing and it sounds amazing at all. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Harrison, what I'm going to do is head over to um, the website, harrisonhunterreed.com. We're going to put all those links in the app and the show notes so you don't need to worry about so, sort of you know, writing that down. You can check out Harrison on Instagram as well at, at, at harrisonhunterreed, and that's spelled H-U-N-T-E-R-R-E-I-D. D. Um, obviously, you can get him on Twitter, Facebook. We'll put those links in there as well. But go give him a check out. You can also search various hashtags, including happiness, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. You'll see a lot more around that as well. Um, so let's learn a little bit more about Harrison. Um, a little bit of a background uh, going off here. So, you know, I hear a lot, Harrison, about, you know, talking about following your passion, being an entrepreneur, um, you know, go around the world, you know. But what I'm really keen for the list system to understand is what really drives Harrison Hunter Reed every day. Right. So that's a that's a really good question. And so um, growing up, I actually uh, struggled a lot um, 
I went, I had a, a 4.0 in uh, ninth grade <laughs> in high school. And uh, I think my senior year, I had a, I, I brought, dropped it down to a 2.6 uh, GPA. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I got a job. I thought I wanted to be in real estate. Um, you know, I love the, the idea of hanging out with people all day and making millions of dollars. So I was like, <laughs> real estate is a great, great deal. So I got an internship at a real estate firm and I, I offered to do it for free because I really wanted to learn the industry. I was really interested. And one day, you know, a couple of weeks into my internship, my boss calls me over and she's like, Harrison, uh, we're having an open house tomorrow. I'm going to send you a list and I need you to call these people and invite them to our open house. And I'm like, no problem. Send it over. So I walk back to my cubicle. I sit down in my chair, you know, the email pops up, I click on it and it's this Excel spreadsheet and I'm looking at it and I don't see the bottom. So I scroll down and I scroll down. I still don't see the bottom <laughs> and I scroll down and there are 2000 names on this Excel spreadsheet. And she wants me to call them all to invite them to an open house. And it's already like, you know, noon or one o'clock in the afternoon. So I have four hours to call 2,000 people, which is, you know, completely impossible. Um, so I sit there and I'm like, you know what? Anything is possible. I see that all of these emails are on this Excel spreadsheet as, as well as the phone number. So I was like, oh, I'll just send them all an email and then I could go back to, you know, playing games on my phone and, you know, <laughs> messing around. So I, I, I copy all the emails, I put it in email, I send it out. Um, and then I sit back and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I did all my work in a day in like a minute and now I could just, you know, do whatever I want to do. Um, and then an hour later, I get a call from the CEO of the company and I'm like, I'm an intern. I shouldn't be getting calls, especially not from the CEO. So I, I pick up the phone. He's like, Harrison, I, I need to see you right now. Um, so I walk over to his, he's one of those CEOs that, you know, wants to be like in the mix. He's, yeah. I guess, more of like a, a servant leader. Like he's one of the people. So I walk over to his cubicle, which is in the middle of the floor. And I show up and I say, Hey, how's it going? And he says, um, did we ask you to, you know, call a bunch of people to invite them to an open house tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, you did. And he's like, did you email them? And I was like, yeah, there's 2000 of them. I couldn't call all of them. So I sent an email and they all know to show up to the open house tomorrow. I'm like kind of excited. I mean, like in the back of my mind, I know it's never good to talk to the CEO, but I'm kind of excited because I think I did something good. <laughs> and he goes, Harrison, I've been getting calls all day of people wanting to be removed off our email list. You're costing me thousands of dollars. I'm sorry, I have to let you go. And so, yeah. And so I'm 17 at the time. And my brain hears, Harrison, we don't pay you anything. And to us, you're worth less than zero. And I was, I was crushed. I really was crushed. And um, it was kind of a theme in my life for a little bit of, you know, I went to college my freshman year. I had a 1.6 GPA. I got another unpaid internship because with a 1.6 GPA, you can't really get a real job. Yeah. Um, and if you want to learn. And I got fired again. And what I realized was I really needed to be invested in what I was doing. You know, um, in the beginning in real estate, I was a great employee because I was so excited to learn about real estate. But throughout my time there, I realized like how little I wanted to actually be yeah. in real estate. Um, and I just lost any interest, any motivation, any passion. And I just couldn't do my job. So, you know, when I said the 2000 emails, it wasn't because I couldn't pick up the phone and call them. It's because I didn't have an interest, right? Yeah. Whether that had 2000 names or 15 names, I would have done the same thing either way yeah. because 
I lost interest. And so I learned that, you know, in order for me to really be successful, I had to figure out like what I really cared about, what meant something to me. And yeah. I'm someone who grew up with a lot of pain. Um, you can't tell now, and I don't know if this is a video or audio podcast, but both, yeah. um, it's both. You can't tell now, but for 20 years of my life, and I'm 26 now, so this is a big portion of my life, I struggled with obesity. Wow. And um, I struggled with depression. Um, I didn't have a lot of energy. Um, I couldn't really focus. I procrastinated a lot. And um, it was really tough on me. So when I finally got out and I saw what it took for me to overcome obesity, um, and, and I found out how great I feel now that you know, I've lost the weight, I eat healthy, I'm able to function exactly how I want, my brain is you know, super clear. Um, that drove me. That's just sort of my passion right now is helping others, you know, yeah. overcome obesity because like the cards are stacked against us. Um, you know, the food system, it was created to feed a growing population. Like we needed to change the food system because of the growing population. But, you know, there were a lot of negative consequences. And, you know, one of those consequences, is the obesity epidemic, you know, people are addicted to the foods they put in their body yeah. because of, you know, the chemicals and the processing and the manufacturing of how these foods are made, it creates that addiction. Yeah, and it's so, convenience as well for a lot of people, crushing in nine to five out there, being busy and you're know, coming in late and sometimes just going to the freezer and getting something that's maybe convenient over healthy is 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 far too present in, 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 in working life. And you know, I've seen that growing up. I've seen that in our family as well as other families. You know, it is one of those things. So that's a big issue. Exactly. And so the cards are stacked against us. You know, mm. 2.1 billion people in this world struggle with weight. And so I, what really drives me, and I, and I think you're going to ask me this later, but um, is because I had that pain of obesity and I saw what it took to come out. And yeah. it's not really, I, I wouldn't put blame on the individuals. Like it's really our food system and our society failing us in this one aspect. And so you know, I just really empathize with others who have that condition because it's not their fault and it's really hard to get out. And so I'm just so driven to help people get out because I understand the pain. Yeah, and you've walked a mile in their shoes, of course, which always helps, doesn't it? And, you know, when I look at your bio, and, and I thank you for sharing that, it's great, but when I look at your bio as well, I love that when you said Harrison is an expert in making things easy, actionable, <laughs> and fun. Now, obviously, I wasn't aware of the email story, but hey, how do I how do I nail two thousand people in thirty seconds and get back to playing games on my phone? That that, that that comes in there. But tell us a little bit more about that, Harrison. Joking aside, um, expert in making things easy, actionable. As entrepreneurs, the listeners are out there. You know, there's, there's constant hurdles. You know, and it, you know, you can have a positive mindset. You can be raring to go. You can have the energy. But sometimes, you know, you know, these bricks or these obstacles just keep hitting us left, right, and center. So it can be a challenge sometimes. So tell us a little bit more about how you approach that easy fix thing. I love that. Um, you know, I'd love to quote. I don't even know if this is Bill Gates, but you know, people say this is Bill Gates, where he said, "I." prefer to hire a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will figure an easy way to do it. Yeah. And as you heard my stories from earlier, you know, <laughs> I grew up as a lazy person. I mean, yeah. I started working at 14, but it was a very, very easy job. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was lazy in school. I was lazy in my <laughs> careers and, you know, I've had to figure out the easy way 
to do things. So um, I think that's a really good question and it's a really important thing. Um, it's sort of my entire like credo, like how do we make things easy? And so for me, um, you know, passion is one of the biggest things, right? So there's multiple definitions of easy. You know, you could look at building a business and is it easy? You know, I believe it is, you know, I, not because it doesn't take hard work. Like you have to put in the hours. There are a lot of things you do, but when you could create a, a driver, a, 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 a vision or a passion behind something, and you could really find yourself doing all the things you need to do to build a business without hard work. Yeah. I mean, not without hard work with, with it being easy. So let me, let me bring that back and, yeah. and make it more clear. Um, for people to understand. So um, there's, there's two kind of big movements I see in you know, people who want to have a successful life. Yeah. There's the movement, um, and I'll, I'll name a name. It's, uh, it's kind of like the poster boy of this movement would be David Goggins. And it's all yeah. about mental toughness. And he says, if it doesn't suck, I don't want to do it. And, you know, because of that, he's built up this incredible mental toughness where he could do anything in life that he wants to do because he's so mentally strong. But it's hard. You know, if it doesn't suck, I don't want to do it. Um, I'm sort of more on the other spectrum where I want to figure out ways that anything I do is enjoyable. Yeah. And so a lot of that is mindset, right? Coming up with a vision um, for what you truly want. You know, uh, for, for me, for instance, just as an example, um, I run a, a health food company. It's called Kulat. We're launching in March. And um, we t I talked about this earlier with Jamie. My vision is, you know, I want to help those that struggle with weight issues take control of their own health, yeah. live a more vibrant life without, having, without asking them to have to diet or to change the way they eat. We're just producing radically healthy versions of products they already love so like yeah. that's my vision yeah. and then it's like what would i get when i accomplish that i mean you know how proud will i be how happy will i be to help you know millions or billions of people yeah, around the world get impression, out of this. It? it's a lasting impression yeah, a legacy that you can create which has got meaning from value it, it, it's good causes it, it, it's got a genuine benefit to the end user, but also entrepreneurial and enterprise behind it as well, which is nothing wrong with that, providing the value and the, and the product is good, which is amazing. It, it right. Fantastic. Exactly. So on that point, you mentioned about the businesses. Uh, we've got a bit of the early days and uh, I know when I watch on your talks, you get fired from every possible job. So you think, well, hey, I'll work for myself, things like that. So we've got that earlier part covered a little bit. Um, you've mentioned about the Kura there as well, but tell us a little bit more about the speaking that you do. Obviously, there's some TEDx stuff in there and some various bits and bobs. We were discussing off air, your schedule is pretty, pretty mazy and uh, winding around uh, over the next right. But just tell us a little bit about the businesses, but also... The key thing that I really want you to focus down on is when you realized that you wanted to go and do these businesses, you know, maybe what was the one light switch thing that maybe said, hey, I'm going to do this or you know, what took you down that path? Was it just a passion or was it something else? Was it a trigger? Usually it comes out of diversity, like you said, the obesity or something like that. Tell us a little bit more around that. That's really funny uh, that you asked because, you know, I didn't tell you this, but I'm actually co-authoring a book on like that very subject. It's a... Um, chicken soup for the soul type book where we're yep. getting together 35 authors and we're all sharing a story of our exact moment. We are like, you know what? I, I need to go start this business. There's nothing else I can do. <laughs> so I have a story for you. 
Um, and it's, it's, um, so I, 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 uh, when I graduated out of college, like, you know, thankfully it was like <laughs> hit or miss for a while. Uh, but I did it, which I'm really happy about. Um, you know, I had certain talents that I knew that I had. I was good with people. I was good with yep. building relationships. I was good at influencing others. And um, I had a desire uh, to help. So actually, uh, in college, I really struggled a lot. There was a time in college where, you know, I was going out seven nights a week. I was, you know, doing drugs that I should have been doing. I was, you know, skipping all kinds of classes. And, you know, after a semester like that, you know, my parents and I, we got together and, you know, they suggested it, but I thought it was a really good decision. You know, I was not in a good place. I wasn't happy, even though I was doing all this partying and drugs and whatever. And, you know, we decided to, to put me in this program um, called the National Outdoor Leadership Program, where we, I lived in the woods with a group of other people for 88 straight days. Wow. So we barely showered. And if we did shower, it was with like in a river with cold water and no soap. We had one change of clothes. We carried the foods off our back. We drank water out of the ground. You know, there was this one time where, you know, we didn't see water for two days and, you know, we're getting really, really dehydrated. I hadn't drank it in, in 24 hours. And we arrived to this campsite that's supposed to have, you know, a river next to it. And we're really excited to get water. And we arrived to this campsite and there's water, but it's brown. Oh. <laughs> and we go to fill up our bottles and there's like bugs and fish bones in it. But when you haven't drank for 24 hours, you drink that. Oh. Um, and so at some point in that journey, you know, when you're living in the woods for 88 days without a cell phone, without internet, without a ton of inter entertainment, you do a little bit of thinking. And I looked at my life and I was like, this is just not at all how I want this to be going. Like, I want to actually be successful. I want to do something. And there was a time um, in a cave where I'm sitting with, you know, one of my best friends to this day, um, Johnny. And we're just, he's sharing all these stories about his life. And this is at a point where, you know, like, I don't, I can't be vulnerable. Like, all I care about is my ego and looking good and protecting and me, me, me. And you know, somewhere between the hours of like four and five in the morning, he broke me down. He got me to share things that I had never shared before. And he That's made really me realize like, yeah, That's he made really me, I'm so thankful for Johnny to this day. Yeah. He made me realize like contribution is way, way better way to live life than, um, than ego. Yeah. And so when I graduated college, I knew I had that talent and I had this newfound desire to contribute. And so I looked at, you know, what is the, most valuable thing I could contribute. And so um, in conjunction with Merrill Lynch, I started a financial services practice um, because in the US, finance is the number one cause of divorce. It's one of the yeah. biggest stressors. And I figured, you know, if I go into an industry that is, you know, immoral and unethical and I bring yeah. integrity, like I can make a really big difference in people's lives. Yeah. And, you know, I was really successful really early. Like I was really excited about it. I had a lot of fun doing it. You know, I was, you know, getting clients left and right. And um, eventually I, you know, got, was prospecting this one massive client, this five and a half billion dollar client. It would have made me extremely wealthy. And um, prospecting this client takes a long time meeting. Yeah, it's a long sales cycle. Meeting. Long sales cycle, especially with like a massive client like this. You know, I met with a partner, and then I met with the director, then I met with the C-suite, then I met with the board, 
and they agreed. Like they were in, they were ready to work. Like, you know, after this client, I wouldn't have to work another day in my life. I could just live off, you know, my book and my business and just, you know, go through life, you know, just spending one day a week working. Um, and so after they agreed, they asked me to send over, um, the paperwork so that they can sign it. And so in order to send over the paperwork, I had to talk to a couple service providers to get their information so that I can combine them and send it over in one nice package. And what I didn't know at the time um, was that one of the service providers had pitched the company um, five years prior with uh. another person who was part of Merrill Lynch. And she called him to congratulate him. And that's where the mayhem started. He called up the CFO. He said a lot of really not nice things, told him that he wasn't allowed to work with me and that he owned the relationship. And none of this was true. The CFO didn't even know who he was. Um, but it destroyed the relationship between uh. the company and I because he associated us together, even though we were two totally separate kind of businesses. Yeah, and, and so... Yeah, that, that led me to a lot of depression and a lot more, you know, when you're depressed and you don't want to leave bed, you don't go to the yeah. office, you kind of do a little bit of thinking, which sort of, maybe I should do more thinking in my life, you know, before I get depressed. <laughs> um, but I thought about it and I realized like I got an industry to really help people. And, you know, the way I ran my business was, you know, with a lot of integrity, everything I did was win, win, win. I did mostly institutional consulting, yeah. which is win for the employees, win for the owners, win for the business. Yeah. And this is all the benefits sort of packages, isn't it? For those financial institutions. Is this what you're exactly. talking about? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those people are not the people that are extremely stressed by money. They have money, you know, their marriages stick because they have money like they you know they don't have to worry about where their food comes from where their shelter and i kind of lost my drive yeah and um tell in that bit, time just, just tell us a little bit more about that what, what was it was you, did you just feel like giving up you know was there a point was there could you just not see past the wall you know the invisible wall that's in front of you yeah i couldn't even i couldn't go to the office anymore i i just there was just i had no more vision for my practice i didn't want to do anything i didn't want to build it you know it just didn't interest me because i wasn't helping the people like i i thought i was yeah, you were set out and, to I, and i and yeah and so um i sold that business and that was the moment where i was like okay like you know i know i got into that business to try to help people and i did help some people not the people that i really wanted to help i love my clients i love working with my clients and actually after I sold the business, um, the, the new owners brought me back in because I kind of missed it. Like I love building that business. I miss my clients. I love building my business with the new people. Um, so I'm still back to running that business. Um, but I'm super passionate about my food business because I just, I care so much about it. It means so much to me. Um, I actually, I have cried several times talking about my business on the phone and that's just like, one of the most beautiful things. And I want people to know out there, like it didn't start that way. You know, I, it started as, you know, I struggled with obesity. I overcame yeah. it. You know, people are not um, being properly helped and I want to help them. And that, you know, sort of started it. But every day your passion grows. Like you don't start crying about your business, but two years down the road of like really doing everything you can and overcoming all the disappointments, you start crying and it's beautiful, but 
you know, I had a, I had a call um, three days ago, actually. I'm looking to set up new manufacturing for my food. And I talked to this guy, Chris. And, you know, at the end of the call of this guy trying to tell me how many times that his manufacturing facility has, doesn't have any availability for me and me saying, no, 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 I want to get in. He said, I talked to, Chris said this, I talked to many, many entrepreneurs and owners of small and, and small businesses. Yeah. And he says, it's very easy for me to tell the difference between who's going to be successful and who's not going to be successful. Yeah. And he says the number one factor in seeing who's going to be successful is if people in the face of disappointment, keep their passion. Yeah. And I was, and I responded, I said, Hey, Chris, that's really interesting because not only do I keep my passion in disappointment, I find that my passion grows tenfold every time Absolutely. I'm disappointed. And I was like, I don't know what, why that happens. I guess I'm just lucky. And then there was this pause and it seemed like there was like a, you know, one or two minutes that went by and I was like, wait, Chris, I got it. I got it. In the face of disappointment, I think about, you know, all of those going through the pain that I had gone through and it's just not an option for me not to make this happen, not to help them. And I know you're going to help me help them. And so when I hear disappointment, I, I, I can't like it just it my body's like no this is impossible and I feel 10 times I'm fueled 10 times to work 10 times harder because I know shoot this is falling through my fingers I need to write the ship I need to fix it I need to make sure this happens it's about being um, conscious and committed to really drive and improve isn't it though exactly it's yeah. all I mean that you can't build that kind of passion without having some sort of, you know, ethical sort of attachment to it. It, it goes back to our recruitment policies in, in all the businesses I've run, well, certainly from, you know, 2000 onwards, the ones before maybe not as much as, as I was learning and developing. But it's all about recruiting for that. We, we call recruit for character, train for skill. Uh, but, the, the, you know, the character obviously, you know, is a Jim Collins sort of saying more than anything else. But um, it, it, it's, it's ultimately not just the character. It's the culture. It's all that. It's recruit to core values because I can train somebody to be X or whatever the, the, the job skill is. But I can't treat, you know, train somebody to want to get out of a bed in the morning, you know, do the right thing, come, you know, help others and, 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 and move things forward. That, that's, that resides in people um, Either and you know and I don't know if you agree with this and it's okay if you don't, uh, but I normally see that the people who have this, you know, and I've employed hundreds of people and you know probably spoken to thousands more, but what I see is that the people who have come from some form of adversity, um, and I'm not talking about you know you know everybody you know was you know as a child's poverty upwards. I'm not talking about that, although that's a major cause. We'll talk about you know the charities and the children in a moment. But but the point I'm saying is is the ones that's come from diversity, the ones that get a little bit of a taste of success, and it doesn't matter if it's just a little bit or it's a lot. They get a taste of it and they're so appreciative of it. So they will do whatever to go forward. And maybe it's not financial. Maybe it's just lifestyle. Maybe it's just they're now doing something that clicks with them. And maybe why I've, you know, and the other thing that I see is, that, you know, and again, not always. So, you know, if you, if you want to sort of shout back at me, guys, just use the hashtag, the open mic, and I'll have a debate with you on this one. But, um, yeah. but you know, so a lot of the second generation or more 
wealthier sort of people who have not maybe had that diversity as much. And it's not just about the money, it could be about the stress or anything. But, you know, the more privileged people don't seem to have it as much as the people who's never had it. And I don't know, is, is it, I've had it a little taste of it and, I want, and, I, and I'm more frightened of losing what I've got than making what I, I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. As I say, you can use the hashtag, the open mic, shoot us a message. We'll, we'll have a chat and, you know, let's just see what happens around that. But uh, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, nobody's right or wrong. Uh, all I'm saying is that the people who want it, the people, they seem to find that extra gear in the gearbox to, to go that extra yard when maybe a lot of the others just fail and fade away and give up, like, you know, like you say. I don't know if you see that, Harrison, so. So I, I think that, um, and I understand where you're coming from. Mm. I think that's sort of a societal thing. I think mm. that everyone in our life Definitely. faces adversity. Yeah. And it's all about tapping into that adversity as fuel. Yeah. And people who come from you know, generational wealth, it's not really, it's not okay for them to tap into that fuel. You know, people look at them as you know, privileged and that their life must be perfect. And you know, they don't feel like they're allowed to have you know, struggles or complaints. And that's really a huge source of energy. So I think it's just a little unfair. Mm. Um, I'm not saying their life is unfair. I'm saying it's a little unfair how we treat them yeah, in a way that we don't allow them to have struggle because, you know, you look at, you know, kids like that and a lot of them struggle with addiction, right? Because do, they don't yeah. necessarily have, they, they have money and money is one of the sort of like, a big thing in our life is to go out and make money. Like that's a huge part of our life. And when they don't have that, a lot of them, they don't really understand like what the purpose of their life is or the meaning of their life. And they turn to drugs. And so if we make it okay for them to have struggles and you know, drug addiction is a huge struggle, right? Major. If we make it okay for them to have struggle, they will, they will be able to tap in to the same fuel. Yeah. Um, and I really love what you were saying before about character, because mm. I know as a, a founder, and a CEO, like I have certain skills that are that are really well developed, and I have certain skills that I have no idea what the hell I'm doing, and I have to hire people to do that. And so, if I'm hiring people that don't have that drive or that yeah. hunger, like I can't tell them what to, to do, and I need them to figure out on their own like what they should be doing to to help drive this company. So I yeah. need people that are hungry and creative and get out of bed and are like, "This is my company. This is my mission." Yeah. And um, here's, here's you know, a little, here's, sorry, carry on. Sorry. Um, so something that I, I love to talk about, and I, you know, I know most of your audience is entrepreneurs, but this is something relevant to everybody Yeah, is whether you own the company or not. And this is a good thing to share with your employees. Like, you know, having a why is really important and it doesn't necessarily have to be the company's why, you know, I have a friend, Justin, uh, he's this really awesome guy and he works for like a fortune five or a fortune 10 company in consulting. Like the, the, yeah. the mission of the company and him, they have nothing in common. The company, they don't really like care about him. If he stays or goes, it would have no effect on the company, yeah. but he is one of the most productive driven employees. And here's why, you know, he does marketing consulting for financial services companies and he doesn't really care about the financial services companies either. He doesn't care if they're successful, but what he cares about is he is a grandmother who's 85 years old or something. I'm not exactly sure on her age. And she needs certain financial products in order for her to have money to you know, live the life she wants, have the yeah. experiences she wants, to put food on her table. And he knows if he can do a really great job helping these financial services companies market their product, people like his grandmother 
Well, Amazing. He, so yeah. he goes to work every single day at this Fortune 10 consulting firm in order to feed his grandmother. And that fuels the hell out of him. And yeah. so, you know, one of Purpose. the most important things is to, to find your why and to have all your employees find your why. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to necessarily be because, you know, they want to join Cool Out because they care about, you know, the obesity epidemic. Maybe they just have a, a grandmother who, you know, loves these processed snack foods and he wants or she wants their grandmother to just live longer to be around just to share stories like, you know. But it's also as the leader. Kind of, yeah, but it's also the leader's responsibility to work with the employee to help develop them and, and, and get them to the stage. Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, and again, I, I speak for over 25 plus years of uh, entrepreneurial life. There's a lot of good people in, 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 you know, early, you know, early progressive roles, getting through. Um, they may not want to be your, your sales director or your finance director, but they've got so much value to add. And they just sometimes are maybe frightened to ask. So, you know, go and put an arm around them or not literally, but just say to them, hey, you know, how can I help you develop? And, you know, um, you know, and I'd love to know what you're doing out there as listeners. You know, I, what are you doing to develop your stuff? What are you doing to identify the quiet people who've got all that potential to pull that out? Again, you can shoot us a, a message using the hashtag the open mic. I'd love to, you know, see what strategies and maybe we could share that around and see what also is working uh, and what's not working. And, you know, you know, it's all about a learning course, but um, I see a lot of underdeveloped talent is what I'm saying. And if you look at your employee base today, there is people in that base, you know, you might think, Oh, you know, I need to get rid of that person or they'll never be anything but the good and they just do whatever, but you know, go and scratch beneath the surface because there is talent everywhere. And as Harrison says there, you just got to find, you know, that why or that purpose or that viral that mission and it's a great it's a great example and i love to share about the you know the food processing and we, you know it, it is you know the disappointment that's amazing uh, sort of segue back from there as well so i'm just going to take you back a little bit more as well uh, only because it's close to my own heart <laughs> um, 18 you're in the events business raising money for uh, kids charities and and, and 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 raising thousands and thousands of dollars so for an 18 year old you know, you, you shared the story about being lazy, you know, not self, not self-centered, but you know, what's in it for me? Maybe going something down the wrong path. Suddenly you find, you know, and get in the events business and start raising money for charity. And I notice you sit on some advisory boards for like help the children and, uh, you know, and things like that. And the National Alliance for Mental Illness, my, my personal and corporate charity is the NSPCC, the National Society for Prevention for Cruelty to Children. So there's wow. a big sort of thing there. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about that because what I'm hearing so one side is one side this is Harrison he's lazy he's dropping out he's skipping classes he's doing this but yet at 18 years old you know and there might be slightly different times I accept that um, but you go and get into the events business and start you know giving back and was that after you did the sort of uh, the trip into the woods before or tell us a little bit how you got into that and some of the good causes that you raised totally uh, before I do that I just want to say I really love what you just said previously I think that um, there's a really big movement in society these days to be really quick to fire people you know yeah. for a long time people were afraid to fire people and it was really hurting their business so now everyone's like someone's not working out fire them yesterday like that's <laughs> the most important thing you'll ever do um, and I think that you know a lot of employees have untapped potential you know and if you can work with employees you could save you know, a ton of time, you know, yeah. I, I don't know for everyone, but for me, like the hiring process is pain, man. It takes a lot of my time and it's like, 
when I'm hiring someone, it's because I already have too much on my plate and I need someone to take it off. So now I'm adding extra to my plate. So if anything I could do to prevent that process makes me really happy. And I'm not saying you shouldn't fire people. Like you should definitely fire people. It could be really beneficial to your business. But before you fire anyone, just get to the root cause. Like why are they not performing? Are they inept? You know, most people aren't inept. It's just they're not motivated or passionate they don't have a reason to go to work every day and there's a whole bunch of other stuff i love talking about the importance of happiness and excitement in building into your company culture because you know happy happiness is really the key to productivity but just before you fire someone make some sort of 30 60 90 day plan to figure out like how can we really figure out a way to make this employee work and if they can't fire them but don't just fire them right away because you know, you'll never really find the perfect employee unless you can motivate them correctly. But to your question um, about the event business, about the charities, um, I think I'm really lucky. I I had a really good upbringing. My, my dad, um, you know, I, it's similar to you. My dad um, tried to get me involved early on. So he would bring me to charity events and you know, it was really important for him to do good in the world. He's actually had a sort of midlife crisis recently where he went from investing money to make money to now he's sort of, you know, one of these leaders in educating people about the field of impact investing, which is really cool. Um, It's really fascinating. It's like if you have money and you don't want to just give it to charity because, you know, charity hasn't solved the world's problems yet. Why don't you use that money to fuel businesses that are solving the world's problems and are more sustainable? So, you know, um, that's really interesting, but how I got into it and you talked about uh, me being driven by ego and not self-centered. I would, I would disagree. I was definitely self-centered for a long period of my life. You know, I mean, a lot of us are, and it's not like we're bad people. It's things happen in our childhood and our teenage years and our early adulthood we're like stuff goes down and we need to figure out like how to protect ourselves because we don't know any better. And to protect ourselves, we put on this giant egotistical yeah. self-centered shield. It's just sort of part of the human condition. And, you know, a big part of our life in my belief is getting out of that and being our authentic true self. Because when you're your authentic true self, you're happier, you're more fulfilled, you're more passionate. It's easier to be successful because you don't have all this stuff going in, in your mind. Like, why did you do that? Why are you like that? What are you doing? It's just, if you're yourself, you're just completely aligned. And, you know, su- uh, subconscious to me is really important. Um, but you're asking about the events business. So this was a, a time in my life where I was still self-centered. And it's really funny. If you look back in my life, all of my dreams for a long time, like when I was a young kid, I wanted to be a baseball player. Then I wanted to be a comedian. You know, then I wanted to be a professional basketball player. Then I wanted to be a disc jockey. Wow. And so like a DJ, you know, I, I wanted all these things to have attention and to have people love me. And it's really funny because now that I'm actually sort of building this public persona and I'm being on stage in front of people, it's after I learned that, you know, true love and fulfillment comes from within and it's all about loving yourself and then giving back. It is. And it's just fascinating that that sort of got me to the area where for my, most of my life I craved so badly. Um, <laughs> it just naturally but, happens sometimes. Yeah. So when I was 18, I was, um, you know, trying to be a disc jockey like Howard Stern. Like, he's so loved. And so I worked for um, the radio at our college. And um, our college doesn't really fund our radio, but we need equipment. We need, you know, marketing. We need all these kinds of funds. And so, you know, I got together with a group of friends or a couple of group of friends actually brought me in. Um, 
and we were like, you know, we love to party. <laughs> we need to we need to get some money so that we could pursue our egotistical dreams of being like famous <laughs> DJs and, and and singers or whatever. Um, what can we do? So we put together this events company and um, we threw events to raise capital for the radio stations so that we didn't have to like beg people for money. We were adding value and doing good. And it was amazing. I mean, we threw a couple events, our biggest event we threw, we had over 800 people and we're just a couple of 18 year olds. But, Congratulations. You know, amazing. We were able to get sponsorship. So the entire party, like we had a, a pretty big DJ, you know, at least for our city, you know, we had, amazing lighting equipment. We had this incredible event venue. It was actually this giant outdoor pool. Um, we had beautiful sound systems. We had like three different sound systems and we were able to get all of this for free, either through, um, you know, them just wanting to support what we were doing because we were doing it for a good cause, which was the radio, which, you know, adds value, um, to people's lives. And then we were able to secure sponsorships. Like I think vitamin water was one of our sponsors. We had eight different, sponsors come in and pay for the rest of the event so every single dollar we made every single dollar that you know people paid for tickets went directly to the radio station yeah that's amazing. and then for the other two um help for children and national alliance for mental illness um when i got into you know the financial services business and i started seeing how i wasn't making the impact i really wanted to make kind of had to supplement it a little bit so i joined some other charities of you know really important missions you know yeah. children are you know a, a big theme in my life is helping those that can't help themselves you know yeah. people who are beasts you know most of them people that I talk to, they eat healthy. Like they generally eat healthy. It's in times of, you know, emotional distress when they turn to these highly processed foods that, you know, they have this deep craving for to help get out of the emotional, you know, distress, but it's actually making it much worse. So like, it's not their fault. Like they're, they're being pulled to this and I'm trying to help them get out by creating yeah. products that gives them that relief and makes them feel really good about themselves. But also yeah. like, children man children can't defend themselves from an adult you know it's and children are abused and it's really awful you know so help for children is a charity that helps treat and prevent child abuse victims and it's just so important and then Amazing. national alliance for mental illness i mean man we all know people that are that struggle with mental illness and you know, i have people you know very close to me you know i struggled with depression for a long time which is kind of a mental illness and, you know, people who are mentally ill, when they're really extremely ill, they, they can't fend for themselves. Like, they have no one they're to They're vulnerable, aren't they? They're vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, they're what vulnerable. I'd love you to do as well is please send us the links to both those charities. We'll put those onto the show notes and put them all into the links. And, you know, um, you know, if you're coming up to a tax year and you need to get rid of some money, go and make a donation. <laughs> that's what I would say. But, yeah, please, we'll, put, we'll put those links in there. But that's great. And, you know, that's, that's a big, big belief for me as well, um, you know, with adults, and I know there is, um, you know, genuine handicap and, you know, uh, and, 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 and either physical disability that stops people moving forward and, you know, taking those genuine cases out there. But a lot of people as adults, it is like you said, a mindset to get going and get going. You just need some help. But with kids, you know, take a look about what you're doing, how you're supporting something, you know, go and put some money in a charity box or do whatever, just make a difference and, you know, find your passion. Um, and, you know, it looks like myself and Harrison have got a, a very, very, very similar sort of um, interest there to sort of help the ones that can't help themselves. So that's amazing. Harrison, I really appreciate you sharing your bio. Um, I've really enjoyed learning it. It's, it's so many sort of things in there that's, um, 
you know, up and down and, and real life. If you've got a question for Harrison, just, you know, send it on, 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 on the wires, use the hashtag the open mic. Um, we'll get that forward to, to Harrison. Or you can connect with him on all the old social channels, Instagram handle at Harrison uh, Hunter Reed. Um, head over to the website, harrisonhunterreed.com as well. Um, connect up there and uh, check out the amazing work that these guys are doing as well. So when we go back to the sort of overall topic, Harrison, of, you know, conscious leadership, the secret to this geometric growth, there will be areas that obviously for the listeners, we've already covered in scrap surfaces or dug down a little bit. So, but I really want to sort of really dig a little bit deeper. Um, and we're going to talk about what uh, that means um, and uh, how you can sort of maybe apply this to move you forward. And, you know, like any of these shows that we do, guys, not everything's relevant to you where you are at the cycle. But stay tuned and listen because, you know, if it's not on your radar today, uh, you know, business cycles, life cycles, situation cycles, wealth cycles, lost cycles. And, you know, this is a great sort of piece of knowledge to have in your toolkit. So tell us a little bit more, Harrison. You know, when you say about with an open mind, everything is possible. Tell us a little bit more around that because you mentioned earlier, you know, when you're depressed, you just feel like you can't go anywhere or you're under pressure. It can be hard to break out of that and, and get going. So talk, talk to us a little bit more about that open mind and everything possible approach. Totally. Totally. And I really love your example that you just used with the depression. And, you know, I have a really good story about that. I'm not going to share it because, you know, this, we're talking about conscious leadership yeah. here. Um, but yeah, you know, a big part of depression is not about having an open mind. It's about staying inside. Yeah. Um, and so uh, actually, I want to touch on something else you just mentioned as mm. well. Um, you know, you talked about how, you know, all this might not be relevant for, uh, you know, people in all different business cycles. And I would argue that, you know, the things that I'm about to share are relevant no yeah. matter where you are in business. And I'll explain why yeah. um, when we go through it. But with an open mind, everything is possible. And um, I mean, as entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of us, you know, we already totally believe in this theory, right? Like you can't really start a company without believing that it's possible. Yeah. We're having an open mind to a new experience. So it's kind of sort of the foundation for all entrepreneurship of is, you know, having an open mind and the belief that everything is possible. And I really love saying everything is possible versus the traditional traditional saying of nothing is impossible yeah. because our brains, you know, are very fascinating and, you know, we don't really hear not or nothing or never we just hear the word so when you say nothing is impossible you, your brain is hearing the word impossible it is thinking it is. things are impossible so you know something that's really important to me and i try to live like this you know i'm not always successful it's a, a ton of years of conditioning that i'm trying to get over um but i try to keep all of my words positive because yeah. when you have positive words you give your body positive energy and it's really fascinating um, and a lot of, you know, speakers get up on stage and show this, like they'll take someone's arm and they'll tell you to, you know, use resistance and push on, you know, the speaker's arm and they'll ask you a question and you're supposed to tell them the truth and you tell them the truth and, you know, your arm stays up and you resist. And then they ask you another question and they tell you to lie. And when you lie, you're, they can just push your arm down really easily because, you know, lying and um, negativity, these things like actually have a physical response yes. in the body. They remove energy. So positive words is so important to have positive energy, which is really important for positive results, which I assume everyone watching the show wants to have Absolutely. <laughs> better results. 
No, they do. And, you know, I, I love that. And, you know, going back, oh, God, 20 odd years ago, when I started studying copywriting. And uh, that is exactly, it's not only that for strategic and direct response copywriting, but um, it's a similar mentality that when you're selling sales copy, you know, you're not using the word but, you're using the word however, using positive statements. <laughs> imagine, you know, and, and, you know, I must have used imagine in copy a thousand, ten thousand times, because imagine what you could be, you know, and it's not false advertising, but it's just how that, that motivation. So I love that. And you're absolutely right. That absolutely is nailed whichever cycle that you're at. And one thing I just picked up on there when you said, you know, nothing is impossible. You do because you sort of skip over that nothing is. And then, right. you know, you're fixated on that impossible. Whereas, like you say, what you're saying on this here is everything is possible. So everything, even if you skip over that, possible stays positive. And, you know, give it a try, guys out there. You know, go and try next meeting that you do. The next, I don't know, staff review you do. The next partner review you do with your vendors. Try and just switch that over. And if you, you know, shoot Harris a message, shoot me a message, use the hashtag the open mic. I'd love to know how you used it, what difference came out of the, uh, you know, the meetings. But that's a great way. And thanks for sharing that, Harris. It's, it's, yeah. it's a great way you put it forward. Thank you. And, and to touch on what you were just saying about in meetings, we love to say like, you know, what's wrong with things. Like, for example, um, you want to go on vacation and you're looking at different areas and you're like, you know, I want to, I'm interested in um, Canada, in Colombia, in Europe. And then you're like, okay, what's wrong with all these places? And you try to figure out which one is the least wrong. And like, who wants to be in a place that's the least wrong? I don't want to be in a place that's the least wrong. I want to be in a place that's the most great. And so when you start using positive words and you start like looking at things that are great about everything, like you just get this beautiful positive energy that you know, keeps you going all day. No, absolutely. And, you know, and again, going back many years here, we, when I did some, a lot of sales training um, and we, and we still use it in the agencies today. We still use it with my clients. Today. It's what's called a positive square grid. And there's nine things. In fact, what I'll actually do is I'll get, the, I'll get the producers to put an image of the positive square grid on this blog for Harrison and, as podcast as well. Or you can click a button and download it or something like that. And it's just nine squares. And if you, and it's slightly off this, Harrison, it's not quite this, but if you're in sales or you want to keep conversations flowing, uh, there's nine abbreviations and letters there and shortcuts. And there's, there's the actual full description underneath. So if you've ever been on the phone or in a meeting or anything like that, and you're struggling to either have a segue through into the next subject or keep it positive to keep the buyer alive as we were told at the time um, and that dates back to the 90s Harrison but I still use it today the team use it here and we call it a positive square grid and uh, so it's 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 exactly the same thing using positive words to, to influence motivate uh, and but in this case feel better you know like you say it, <laughs> it, it, it allows things to be possible so great stuff and um, Talk to us about, you know, treating the root of the problem, you know, not the symptoms. And I see this mistake so many times in the boardroom house, and I'm so pleased that, you, you know, we were talking about this. Um, you know, is there a process, I suppose, that the listeners should adopt to ensure that they stay focused on that root cause as opposed to looking at the symptoms? Because it is a big mistake that I see often. I think that's a incredible question and I really wish I had a process to share. <laughs> uh, but I will say this, um, you know, first let's talk about like the root of the problem versus yeah. symptoms. You know, we live in a society where if something's wrong, we try to treat it right away. It's really prevalent in our medical system. You know, if you're coughing or sneezing, let's figure out a way to stop coughing or sneezing. But the thing is, 
coughing and sneezing is not the sickness. Coughing and sneezing is actually the method that the body uses to try to get rid of the sickness. Yeah. So when you, when you stop, when you treat the symptoms, coughing and sneezing, you're actually, you know, allowing the sickness to grow stronger and grow better. And yeah, maybe temporarily you have a better quality of life because you're not coughing and sneezing all the time, but you're going to be sicker longer. And so, um, you know, the best way to treat something is trying to figure out like, oh, wait, let me find the virus and let me attack the virus or let me deal with the virus. Um, and that's a much better way to treat yeah. problems. And you it's see that, that proactive approach as opposed to being reactive is what we're saying, which we see in business all the time. Right, exactly. You know, um, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit and, you know, I hope nobody gets mad at me from your <laughs> following, but in the food industry, um, it's, you know, really, really common, you know, obesity is a problem. There are a lot of people that go out there and they try to treat the symptoms. Um, like they try to treat the weight issues and, you know, they come out with these foods that are, you know, like low in calories or, you know, low in carbs or whatever. Uh, but they're not treating the real problem, which is we're not putting real food in our bodies. And, mm -hmm. you know, when they're trying to treat the symptoms with like low calorie foods or yeah. like alternative sweeteners, we're not actually helping. And these foods don't really help you um, lose weight. Um, the real problem is we're not putting foods, real foods into our body. And when you put real foods into your body, not only do you lose weight, but you just feel really good. Um, you know, in my struggle with obesity, you know, I joined sort of fitness community for a long period of time. And in the fitness community, they eat a certain way to look a certain way. Um, and it's, it works, right? Because, you know, they don't eat the foods that are like low calorie or, you know, fake sugar just to eat. They eat like chicken and broccoli for every single meal. Yeah. And again, they're treating a symptom. They're treating their weight, which is great. You know, losing weight is an awesome experience. But there are plenty of people you know, I have a lot of friends that are bodybuilders and they're tired all the time. You know, they're angry a lot. There are plenty of people that are in really good shape that don't feel good. And there are people that are overweight that feel really great. And at the end of the day, like that's what people want. They want to feel they're good. They want to have energy. They want to have clarity of mind. Um, and all that comes from not from your weight. Your weight is a symptom of poor eating. You know, the real cause is what you're putting in your body. And so, you know, a way to really think about it is um, one, like just get educated, right? So when I started my company, I was still in the fitness industry and I had a low carb, high protein product. And, you know, throughout that process, I decided I wanted to go back to school and I got certified in nutrition at Cornell University. And I realized like, like what, how food really affects our body and like what we really need to do and like, you know, how psychologically, because there's so much behind the scenes that we don't really understand, like, yeah, uh, calories, I mean, a pound is 3,600 calories. To lose a pound, you need to burn 3,600 calories, but it's nowhere near as simple as eating 3,600 <laughs> less calories. Like, that's just not how our bodies work. It's not how our brains function. That's not how the human body was evolved. So step number one is to, to get education. And that education comes in two forms. And this is really important. A lot of people like to stick to one side, but you really need both. The first thing you need is life experience. So for me, you know, going from obese to, to healthy and, you know, having the energy and the vibrancy that I wanted, that was really awesome life experience. And that helped drive me to help solve